Good morning, church family, and a happy Mother's Day to all of our mothers here this morning. Mothers, you are certainly a gift from God, and we are so thankful for you and for your love for Christ, your nurturing spirits, your patience, and for your dear service to your families and to this church. As someone who is a son and a father, I am sure of this. Moms, without you, we would be in so much trouble. And thus, mothers, through all of your wonderful efforts, I pray that your children rise up and call you blessed, and I pray that your husband praises you each and every day because you love and you fear the Lord. We love you, moms, and thank you for all that you do and wish you all a happy Mother's Day. Now, as for our sermon this morning, today we will be looking at two verses from 3 John, those being verses 9 and 10. And we are going to meet a man by the name of Diotrephes. Now, Diotrephes, as you will quickly see, is the perfect example of how not to behave within the church. For he really is the antithesis, the exact opposite of the man who we met in our text last week, a man by the name of Gaius. Now, if you can remember all the way back to the text from last week, church, Gaius was a man who the apostle John loved. In fact, John wrote in verse 3 that he rejoiced greatly when he found out that Gaius was walking in the truth. For Gaius was a man who not only loved the truth of the gospel, but he was also a man who lived the truth of the gospel. For Gaius let the truth of the gospel guide him and direct him and lead him in all that he did. And thus, as we saw from the text last week, when Christian missionaries came to him, it was the practice of Gaius to greet them and to receive them into his house, and to encourage them, and care for them, and bless them, and pray for them, and support them in their ministry. Because although these missionaries were, verse 5, strangers to Gaius, they were also, above all else, still Christians to Gaius. And thus, it didn't matter to him if they never met because for Gaius, they were all brothers together in Christ. And thus, Gaius was going to sacrificially love them just as Christ loved his church. Now, in hearing this, the apostle John, he openly rejoiced because he knew that these brothers, that these Christian missionaries, that they had gone out, verse 7, for the sake of the name, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. And thus, because of that, we as Christians must, must, must be willing to support people like these in their gospel efforts and be, verse 8, fellow workers with them for the truth which is exactly what Gaius was doing here. For he was not only talking the talk in that he affirmed the true teachings about Jesus Christ, but he was also walking the walk and living those truths out in that he loved and cared for and openly supported these Christian missionaries who had gone out into the world for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ. However, the man we meet today He does the exact opposite of all that, for he really is the antithesis of Gaius. 
meaning he is not humble like Gaius, not respectful like Gaius, not loving like Gaius, and as we will see today, has absolutely no desire to support or to care for his brothers and sisters in Christ like Gaius. And thus with that as the backdrop of our text this morning, our thesis statement today, or the main theme of our sermon is this. Christian, Please humble yourself so that your pride does not lead to the rejection of authority, to a gossiping tongue, or to actions of hate. Again, our thesis statement this morning is this. Christian, please humble yourself so that your pride does not lead to the rejection of authority, to a gossiping tongue, or to actions of hate. Thus, at this time, church, let's open our Bibles up to 3 John And again, we will be in verses 9 and 10 this morning. Now, if you do not own a Bible or don't have one with you this morning, please know there is one located in the chair in front of you, which is our gift to you this morning. Because if you do not own a Bible, please know we want you to have one. The only thing we ask is that you read it, starting today by turning to page 1026, and joining us as we as a church body hear the word of God together this morning. Again, we are in 3 John this morning, church, looking at verses 9 and 10. For the Apostle John, he writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you slow down our minds right now and help us to place them directly on you. Lord, our eyes that are looking all around, our brains that are thinking about the activities that we are going to do the rest of the day, let us lay them aside for this next 40 minutes, Lord, and dwell on you and on your word. Father, we think we are so important Forgive us. Forgive us for stealing any of your, trying to steal any of your glory, any of your joy. And let us be content as your children who have been saved not by our works, but by your mercy to put you first in our lives. Not just on your day, not just while we're at church, but in every aspect of our lives. Help us, Father, to put you first in our lives. Father, I pray that this dear flock, this beautiful congregation, that they hear those words this morning and that you soften their hearts to receive your word. Father, help my lisping, stammering tongue as well. Let me deliver to this dear congregation boldly, confidently because of who you are, humbly your word this morning. And let us convict us that there can only be one in our lives that is placed first, and his name is Jesus Christ. Convict us, we pray, Father, 
and I pray that our worship service today, I pray that the reading, the studying, and the preaching of your word, Lord, that it is a sacrifice that pleases you. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of two points this morning, church, is this. Point number one, Christian, be humble and do not desire to put yourself first in the church, for only Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Christian, be humble and do not desire to put yourself first in the church, for only Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Verse 9, John writes, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Now, as I mentioned last week, what seems to be taking place here in 3 John is that although there were many churches throughout Asia Minor dealing with the theological attacks of the false teachers, there seems to be one church in particular that the Apostle John had taken a keen interest in caring for. And thus, John informs Gaius here in verse 9 that I have written something to the church, or that he has written something to this church. Now, the Apostle John is not talking about 1st or 2nd John here, but he is instead likely talking about a letter that we no longer have, that was about these brothers whom John was sending to the church, in essence, letting them, the church, know that these brothers, that they were the good guys, and that they had the Apostle John's support and thus were to be greeted and received and cared for and shown hospitality. However, as we see here in verse 9, this letter then somehow finds its way into the hands of a man named Diotrephes, a man who, verse 9, likes to put himself first and who doesn't acknowledge John's authority, which naturally leads to the question, well, who exactly is this man named Diotrephes? And really, we cannot know for sure exactly who this Diotrephes was or exactly what position he held in the church, or exactly what his relationship was with Gaius. However, it does seem very likely that this Diotrephes held some kind of significant leadership position at the church, and that Gaius either attended this church with Diotrephes, or simply lived in the same region in which this church was located. Nevertheless, what we do know is that the Apostle John wrote a letter to this church, And that the contents of this letter, the recommendations in this letter, and the instructions given by this letter, they were flat out rejected by Diotrephes. And I mean, just sit back and feel the weight of that for a second church. That this man named Diotrephes, that he did not accept or acknowledge or heed the words of the Apostle John, but instead refused and repudiated and flat out rejected the apostolic authority and wisdom and insight of the Apostle John here, which naturally causes us to ask the question, why? I mean, why in the world would Diotrephes not accept or acknowledge or recognize the Apostle John and his apostolic authority here? And the answer to that question is found in verse 9, for it is because he, Diotrephes, likes to put himself first, or as the NASB puts it, he, Diotrephes, loves to be first, and thus it is clear what we see taking place here, church. For we have a man in Diotrephes who quite simply loves himself, 
who has been gripped by the sin of pride, which in turn is now influencing and affecting everything he says and does and thinks. I read a story this week by Michael Green about a minister, a Boy Scout, and a computer scientist who were the only three passengers on a small aircraft when suddenly the pilot of the plane came running back to the cabin to tell the other three passengers that the plane was going to go down. And to make matters worse, there were only three parachutes on the plane, despite there being four people on board. Therefore, the pilot of the plane said, I must have one of the parachutes, for I have a wife and three small children. So he took one of the parachutes and jumped out of the plane. And then the computer scientist said smugly, I too have one of the par- I need one of the parachutes, for I am one of the smartest people in the world, and everyone is going to need me and my expertise in the future. So he too grabbed one of the parachutes and jumped out of the plane. To which the minister, he then turned to the Boy Scout and said to him with a sad smile, Oh, you are young. And I have lived a long and rewarding life, so please, boy, you take the last parachute, and I will go down with the plane. To which the Boy Scout replied, Oh, relax, Reverend. One of the smartest men in the world just jumped out of the plane holding my backpack and not one of the parachutes. For as the proverb reads, church, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Now, as numerous scholars have pointed out here, church, doctrine does not seem to be the issue with Diotrephes. For nowhere in the text does the Apostle John call Diotrephes a false teacher or an antichrist or a deceiver. And thus, the point of contention here, church, is instead that of pride. For it is because Diotrephes, verse 5, desi- 9, desires to put himself first. For Diotrephes is, in essence, one of those church leaders who is a loud mouth boaster, a brat an arrogant, pompous, presumptuous egomaniac who wants to be the man and who wants to remain the man at all costs. And thus he isn't going to submit to or listen to or acknowledge some old apostle named John who thinks he knows what is best for the church. Because since Diotrephes, since he's the captain now, then he ain't taking his cues from anybody else. And that, Christian, that is what pride can do to really anyone in the church, for it can cause us to think that we are better than others, more valuable than others, superior to others, and deserving of getting our own way instead of seeking the will of others, which, make no mistake, Christian, is not the will of Christ. For we have been called, Christian, to be devoted to one another, to be submissive to one another, and to count others as more significant than ourselves. And thus, my initial warning this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, is this. If you see even a hint of this spirit of pride growing in your life, if you see even an inkling of this desire to put yourself first, if you see even a trace of believing that you are somehow better or superior 
or more valuable than others, then please, please, please cut the head off that snake and kill it right away. For your pride, your ego, your swag, it is not a pet and it is not cute. And it is certainly not something you feed and you celebrate. For for as is stated by Jonathan Edwards, the worst viper in the heart is that of pride because it is contrary to the very spirit of the gospel. Therefore, that is your warning this morning, church. For if you see pride or arrogance or cockiness festering anywhere in your life, please know that is not a virtue. But it's evil, it's immoral, and it leads to the way of destruction and death. And thus, please, Christian, today, this morning, get that viper out of your life, put your pride away, and be willing to die to self and to live for Jesus Christ. Because if not, I can promise you, your pride, your love for self, your vanity, it will only grow and grow and grow. And as we will see from Diotrephes, it will manifest itself in countless other wicked and destructive ways. Which brings us to point number two. The power of pride can lead to a gossiping tongue and to wicked deeds. The power of pride can lead to a gossiping tongue and to wicked deeds. Verse 10, so if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So the apostle John opens verse 10 by letting Gaius know that if I come, I will bring up what he, Diotrephes, is doing. So although, church, John is the apostle of love, don't ever forget that John is also one of the sons of thunder, a nickname given to him by Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, just as John has proven that he's not afraid to call out the false teachers and the deceivers and the antichrist for calling our God a liar and from blaspheming our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, so too is John not afraid to call out and confront Diotrephes for acting like a fool within the church. Because as we will see, pride isn't just something that burns inside of you and makes you desire to put yourself first. Nor is pride just something that keeps you from doing what you ought and acknowledging the authority of others. But pride, it can and it does manifest itself in word and in deed. Case in point, pride causes diatrophies, verse 10, to talk wicked nonsense against us meaning it is pride that ultimately causes Diotrephes to run his mouth against the Apostle John and his associates here. Now, in no way should this come as a surprise to us, church, because Diotrephes, as John Stott put it, sees the Apostle John as a rival or as a threat to him and to his authority. Therefore, in order to make sure that his church doesn't turn from him and side with the apostle John, Diotrephes, in essence, begins acting like a modern-day politician and begins slandering the apostle John and smearing his character and making scandalous remarks about him and basically gossiping about him to anyone and to everyone who would listen, all in an effort to make sure that he maintains his power and his authority within the church. 
which is a significant and revealing thing for him to do. And I say that because, as D.L. Moody wrote, the government or the control of the tongue is a true test for religion. For just as a doctor looks at the tongue of a person to diagnose the condition of their bodily health, so too a person's words are an index for what is within. For truth will naturally spring up from a clean heart, whereas falsehood and deceit naturally from a corrupt one. For example, when Ananias lied and kept back part of the proceeds of the land, Peter asked him, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Therefore, church, James writes, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And thus, brother Christian, sister Christian, let us always, always, always be quick to take note of the condition of our tongue. To note if we are tearing down or building up. To note if we are gossiping or speaking in love. To note if we are slandering or saying words of encouragement. For the condition of our tongue, church, will naturally reflect the condition of our hearts. And yet this is just another warning that Diotrephes simply refuses to hear. Because as we will see next, Diotrephes not only lets his pride pervert his tongue, but he also allows his pride to corrupt his very actions and deeds. For John writes in verse 10, And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So the pride, the arrogance, the conceit of Diotrephes thus far has not only caused him to put himself first, and has not only caused him to reject the authority of others, and has not only caused him to slander others behind their backs, but as we now see, the pride, the arrogance, and the conceit of Diotrephes has also caused him to be wicked and hateful indeed. For the destructive influence of pride church, it simply knows no end. For Diotrephes is not content to just badmouth and slander and smear the character of the Apostle John here. But remember those brothers, those Christian missionaries who the Apostle John sent to the church? Diotrephes, verse 10, he refused to welcome them, meaning that when those dear Christian brothers who had gone out for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ came knocking at the door, hungry and seeking food, tired and seeking rest, worn and seeking encouragement, Diotrephes, he wasn't having it, for he refused to receive them refused to love them, and refused to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. In essence, saying to them, beat it. Get out of here. Hit the road, Jack, and never come back because you are not welcome here, never were welcome here, and never will be welcome here. And what is so disheartening here about this scene, church, is that these are supposed to be brothers in Christ, citizens together in God's kingdom, members together of God's family, stones together in God's 
temple, for they are supposed to be united together, bonded together, and one together in the gospel of Jesus Christ. However, because of one man's ego and pride and arrogance, Diotrephes, he simply cannot see these men as brothers, because to him they are rivals and a threat to his power and authority and control. And thus you can just see here, Christian, how pride has the ability to corrupt and destroy unity within the church. For pride has literally paralyzed Diotrephes here and has made it impossible for him to love and to care and to serve those who are supposed to be his brothers and sisters in Christ. And I wish it just stopped there, church. I so wish it just stopped there. However, that is the problem with pride, for it festers and it grows and it grows and it grows until it negatively reaches and affects just about everyone in the church. For not only has Diotrephes decided that he will refuse to greet the brothers, but he's also decided that he's, verse 10, going to stop those who want to. And I mean, that is a whole nother level of narcissism right there. For Diotrephes is so worried and so concerned that someone could possibly come in and take some of his power that not only is he, Diotrephes, going to reject the brothers, but he's also, verse 10, going to stop those who want to. And if, if, if a church member tries to love these brothers and receive these brothers and show these brothers in any way the love of Jesus Christ, then Diotrephes, verse 10, he will put them out of the church, aka he will boot them out of this church. And that is just a disgusting abuse of power within this local church context and a picture of a church leader who has simply gone rogue. And thus, because of that, Christian, we must always be on guard for these prideful, self-centered, egocentric church leaders who desire to build their name and their power and their kingdom for their good and their glory instead of the kingdom of Christ. For that is what we see from Diotrephes here, a man who ultimately desired to put himself first instead of Jesus Christ. However, church, make no mistake, you do not need to be a church leader in order to ask yourself the obvious question from the text this morning, which is this, who do you put first in your life? Who do you put first in your life? For is it yourself or is it Jesus Christ? For do you seek to present your body and your life as a living sacrifice to God as your spiritual worship? Or is your body and your life simply the altar in which you bow your knee at to idolize and worship yourself? Thus, I pray that your answer to that question this morning, tomorrow morning, and every morning, Christian, is always that of Jesus Christ. For Christ is the only answer that will ever be good and acceptable and perfect. And thus, for that reason, Christian, always, 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 choose to put Jesus Christ first in your life. Now, as we close this morning, I'd like to begin with the non-Christian who is here first. A non-Christian, I realize that we have talked a lot today about the negative effects of pride 
or the idolatry of the self or the practice of placing ourselves above God. And thus, I just want to make this point as clear as possible to you this morning. Those who are controlled by their pride, it doesn't end well for them in eternity. For although some who love themselves in the here and now and who seek to put themselves first in the here and now may experience some form of momentary wealth or riches or prosperity, Proverbs 16 is clear that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord and will not go unpunished. Therefore, if your heart, non-Christian, is controlled by the desires of the eyes, the desires of the flesh, and the pride of life, then be assured it is eternal punishment that awaits you. For only those non-Christian who know that they cannot save themselves, who grieve over the filthiness of their sin, and who humbly turn to Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord will ever be saved. And I say that, non-Christian, because we are sinners. And because we are sinners, we then naturally sin. And unfortunately, our sin, non-Christian, it has separated us from our holy God. Therefore, the only way that we can ever be reconciled back into union or into fellowship with our holy God is by placing our trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the good news that Jesus Christ, the one who is truly God, came into this world, born, as a, born from a virgin as truly man. And he, Jesus Christ, lived for us, non-Christian, the life that we could never live. Meaning, although Jesus Christ was tempted with sin, just like you and I, Jesus Christ, he never sinned, and thus he lived a perfect and sinless and righteous life here on earth and ultimately fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law that we as sinners could never, ever fulfill on our own. However, non-Christian, not only did Jesus Christ fulfill the righteous requirement of the law, but he was also the propitiation for our sin, or the wrath-removing sacrifice for our sin, meaning that Jesus Christ willingly bore the wrath that we deserve for our sin by being nailed to a cross at Calvary on our behalf and dying a sinner's death on that cross in our place. I mean, think of it this way, non-Christian, the perfect sinless Son of God, Jesus Christ, willingly gave up his life for his father's wicked and sinful children as their very substitute. However, this sacrificial work of Jesus Christ on that cross, it completely and it perfectly appeased the wrath of a holy God toward his sinful children. And thus, three days later, non-Christian Jesus Christ, he didn't stay dead, for he didn't stay sealed in the grave, but he supernaturally rose from the dead and triumphantly displayed to the world that he had indeed defeated sin and destroyed death and now offered eternal life to all who place their trust in him. 
That's non-Christian. Let today be the day that you turn from your sin. Let today be the day that you repent of your sin and you place your trust in Jesus Christ and in Christ alone as the only one who can forgive you of your sin, as the only one who paid the price for your sin, who died for your sin and can clothe you in his perfect life, in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. Non-Christian, let today be the day that you realize you can't save yourself. Let today be the day you see the wickedness of your sin and let today be the day you humbly place your faith in Jesus Christ, in the only one who can pay the price for your sin, who can cleanse you of your sin, clothe you in his perfect righteousness and reconcile you back to God forever. Thus, let today be the day, non-Christian, that you stop living for yourself and place Jesus Christ first in your life and receive humbly the gift that only comes through him, that being the glorious gift of eternal life. And to the Christian who is here today, brother Christian, sister Christian, my warning to you this morning was and is pretty clear. For if there is any kind of pride festering and growing in your life, then cut it off at the head. Get that pride out of your life. For Jesus Christ and Christ alone, Christian, should be put first in your life and not yourself. However, I do realize, Christian, that you might be sitting there this morning thinking, well, I agree with you, pastor, that that is sound advice. However, it is also much easier said than done. To which I would like to share this little story with you as a rebuttal as a reminder and as an encouragement to your soul this morning. One of the most gifted preachers and orators in all of England during the 19th century was a man by the name of Joseph Parker. And as Malcolm McLeod shared, Parker was once asked by a member of his church, why did Jesus ever choose Judas? To which Dr. Parker replied, I do not know but I have an even harder question that you can ask yourself. Why did Jesus ever choose me? You see, church, our salvation, as Paul writes in Romans 9, depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Therefore, church, it is only when we grasp that fact that our salvation depends not on our will or exertion, not on our merit or worthiness, not on our works or accomplishments, but on God who has mercy, that our pride then, our arrogance then, and our love for self then will begin to melt away and become excluded from our lives. Now, how is this possible? You might be wondering. Well, practically speaking, if you look at your life right now, Christian, and you are wondering, why do I get so jealous of other people when they become successful? Or why do I throw that fit of anger toward my children when they don't listen to me? Or why can I get so upset that I don't have the job I want, or the car I want, or the house I want, or the paychecks I want, or the daily praise that I think I deserve? And the answer to all of those questions is always that of pride. 
Therefore, Christian, when you find yourself getting jealous of others or throwing that fit of anger at your children or getting upset because you don't have all the things that you think you deserve in this life, then ask yourself not, why did God ever choose Judas? But ask yourself instead, why did God ever choose me? For why did a holy and perfect and just God ever choose me when my tongue was deceiving, when my mouth was cursing, and when my feet were swift to shed blood. For that, Christian, that is when the God of the universe made you alive with Jesus Christ and forgave you of all of your sin. Which means then, Christian, your salvation, your eternal life, your blessed assurance depends not on your merit or your works or your accomplishments, but solely on God who has mercy on your soul. Therefore, how could anyone walk out of here this morning, Christian, with that knowledge in mind and still boast in their own wisdom or power or might? Because if you truly do know and believe and confess that you have been saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, then your boast, Christian, your joy, Christian, your absolute delight, Christian, now and forevermore will be in Christ and in Christ alone, Christian, and no longer in yourself. Thus, it is my prayer that we as a church body, that we be a people who boast only in the Lord. For it is obvious, Father, that we as your children were running a hell-bound race and have absolutely no reason to boast in ourselves. For we were not by saved by our works of the law, but by you, God, who had mercy. Therefore, give us a spirit of humility, Lord, and let it be founded in the fact that we have a proper view of you and a proper view of ourselves. For like the crook on the cross, help us, Lord, to fear you. Help us Lord, to see your perfection. Help us, Lord, to see the wickedness of our own sin, and help us, Lord, to be thankful each and every day that when we asked you to remember us and to have mercy on us and to save us, oh, you did. For it is by your grace and your grace alone, God, that we have been saved. Therefore, help us to be a church, Lord, that seeks to put you first in our lives, a church that is not content to boast in ourselves, but instead to be a church that is only satisfied in boasting in you, God, our God who has mercy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a God who has mercy. You do not give us what we deserve You give us according to your mercy and grace. Father, we deserved your wrath and your sin. And you have given your wrath. You poured it out on your son, Jesus Christ. So that we can be forgiven of our sin. However, not only have we been forgiven, but that perfect life that Jesus Christ lived, that he fulfilled the Pentateuch and the prophets and the Psalms for us perfectly, that righteous life is imputed, it is given to us so that we can stand in the presence of your glory forever and ever. It is not based on our merit or works or accomplishments. 
but it is based on the grace that you have given us so that we can have faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. So what then becomes of our boasting? Lord, in the here and now, it is excluded. For the only thing that we can boast in is that we know you, Lord, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Thus, if we are to boast, let us boast in this. Let us boast in our Lord, who has given us much mercy and much grace. Amen. Amen. Please stand.